Episode 6, Q&A, BDSM as it relates to neurodivergence, mental health, psychology, and kink sexuality. Welcome to Lightworkers Who Play in the Dark, where we bring the darkness into the light. I'm your host, Mistress Damiana Chi, and I have been a professional dominatrix for over two decades. I'm also a certified sexologist and a kink life coach. I hold a PhD and a master's degree in psychology. I am the founder of the Evolutionary Dominatrix Academy and the creator of Conscious Kink Community. These podcast episodes will feature different themes like Q&As, where I answer kink-related questions from my listeners, topic interviews with people in the BDSM community, and femdom psychodrama scenes in which I dominate a submissive while you listen in as we get into some dom space and subspace together. Now, let's get on with the episode. The following are four really great questions from my Patreon members about BDSM as it relates to psychological and mental issues. I'm sure these same issues are on the minds of many kinksters out there, so hopefully my responses can be of help to some of you who are listening out there. It was a pleasure to offer my responses to the following questions asked by Kevin, Anna, Zishan, and Jake. Hi, Mr. Stamiana. It's your old friend, Kevin. Here's a question for your show. Recently, I found out that I've been a lifelong sufferer of ADD. I didn't know this. I've never been diagnosed until recently. And then looking back in my past, I see how that has clearly affected my relationships, including my BDSM relationships. I was just wondering if you've ever had any experience with uh, folks with such a condition and how would you deal with that? Or maybe other minor mental disabilities. Um, So that's it. Thanks for letting me ask a question. Bye. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for asking this question. So ADD stands for Attention Deficit Disorder, which I believe is now being referred to only as ADHD now, which is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, which is the the wider umbrella of um, what ADD falls under. So this refers to the neurodivergence that affects attention and concentration. People with ADHD are distracted or they have difficulty following instructions or completing tasks. So if you are in a service type role in your DS relationship, this might pose a problem. Everybody has ADD or to some degree, except if you are a monk who has trained his mind to focus so intently that you can quiet your, the monkey mind at will. So the three main challenges of people with ADHD are distractibility, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. If you are a service sub with ADHD, you might have a hard time staying in the moment as you might get distracted very easily, or you might have a hard time learning from your past mistakes. Um, and you might have impulsive behavior, which might make you make rash decisions without thinking, um, sometimes to the dismay of your mistress. You might have a hard time following instructions because you forgot what your, what your mistress said one second after she said it because you were thinking about somebody, something else. Um, or you might have a hyperactive, hyperactive mind, which keeps switching from one task to another. And so let's say you're cleaning my dungeon. 
which you've done before personally for me, beautifully, in fact. So, for example, you might be cleaning the, the floor. Maybe you're vacuuming, and all of a sudden you see that the corner of one of my rugs needs to be repaired. So you stop to fix that, and then you remember that the towels need to be put in the dryer. So you run downstairs and take care of that. And when you come back inside, you notice that the toys you cleaned earlier need to be put away. So you go do that. And then the toy cabinet is such a mess that you take everything out and organize it. And by the time you get back to vacuuming, two hours has flown by and you don't know what happened. <laughs> so this isn't just an ADHD thing. It's it's a most people thing, but you might be more prone to it happening more often or something like that. But Kevin, having ADHD is not quote unquote bad. There are strengths to having ADHD. And I happen to know you personally. So I know that some of these strengths are true. So some of the strengths of having ADHD are, you might have an exceptionally creative and versatile personality. Um, your ability to think outside the box is one of your greatest strengths. You might have boundless amounts of creativity and imagination coming from your brain. And I've seen this from you, so I know that's true. Um, you, you might be very spontaneous and go with the flow, which works really well for doms because they might suddenly have a change of plans for you and you can roll with it. And um, you tend to be a really good problem solver and quite enthusiastic about finding solutions. So that's a really, really good strength, too. Um, some people with ADHD are often highly energetic and they can channel their boundless energy levels into something they love. Um, and if you do something that you love doing, like serving your mistress and making her happy, then it just feels like a joy for you to do this. And um, so that's that's a strength, too. Um, another strength is hyperfocus. So some people with ADHD can also become so engrossed in the things that they love to do that they become hyperfocused on the task. So this might make you lose track of time, but it helps you do whatever you're doing get done. <laughs> so if you're serving your mistress um, and you're hyper-focused on serving her and, and serving her is a, a huge motivation for you. So that might help you be hyper-focused on doing that particular job because it's, it's like serving a higher purpose than serving yourself. So, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having ADHD. It's just how your brain is wired. And I wouldn't even call it a mental disability as you called it. Neurodivergence is more like a, the PC term to use. And it just means that you think differently from those who are neurotypical. And who wants to be typical anyway? <laughs> there are so many successful people with ADHD. And I did a quick Google search. And on that list is Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Leonardo da Vinci, John F. Kennedy, Bill Gates, you know, these people are not neurotypical, and that is why they have been such gifts to society, right? They are creative, energetic, imaginative, they think outside the box, um, and they are they have the ability to hyper-focus on, on things that interest them that are that, to a far greater degree than neurotypicals. So, Kevin, for you, a good mistress would be someone who understands how your brain works and understands your strengths and weaknesses and how to work with them. I have many slaves in my stable and some are good at some things and others are good at other things. So not one good, not one slave is good at all the things, you know, and that's a good thing. I love to take advantage of every single individual slave's 
gifts and strengths. I have a slave who always follows my instructions to a T and it's hard to ever find anything to punish her for. So sometimes I give her maintenance corporal so she doesn't feel left out. Um, physical discipline is good for a slave's ongoing training. See, so, and, and then I have another slave who forgets and goofs up just about every time he serves me. And then I have to punish him a lot, but it's all in good fun. It's like punishment. You know, I never punish out of anger. I don't get irritated and angry at him for his mistakes because I know how his brain functions. And, um, and yeah, so I hope that you find a mistress who understands you and can harness your positive qualities to her advantage while also providing guidance to help you try harder to remember the things she teaches you. And someone who has that kind of patience with you will also be someone who you will find yourself more motivated to serve than someone who isn't as patient with you. Hi, Mr. Stamiana. This is Anna. I wanted to ask about the mental health aspect of BDSM. I am submissive, but I have never actually done a session so my mental health has never been too great, but over the last few years, it has become worse. And I was wondering, do you think it's possible to become mentally ill because of denying yourself to live out that side of yourself? And also, do you think there's a connection between being submissive and feeling the need to self-harm, for example? I guess what I'm asking is, is it such an important part of us that we need to actively live it in order to be okay? Thank you so much for answering the question and all the best for you. Bye. Hi, Anna. This is such a good question because I'm sure that many, many people out there in the world wonder what the effects are of denying themselves of the experience of BDSM. So I don't think that denying yourself of expressing the kink side of yourself can be a cause of mental illness because being truly happy and centered is a result of your perceptions and how you view the world and how you handle different stresses and circumstances in your life. So with this philosophy, you can be happy no matter what you have or don't have. Um, but I know it's not that easy. I know it's, it's you know, dealing with me mental illness is a struggle and it's, it's a huge struggle and it's something that people do struggle with um, sometimes lifelong if, if they can't find a solution to this. But, um, but to go back to your question, um, I always say that kink sexuality is a real sexual orientation and kink sexuality runs on a spectrum within every individual. So try to picture a scale with vanilla on one end and kinky on the other. Someone can be very vanilla with just some curiosity about kink, and they just want to dabble in it. And another person can fall right in the middle and be sort of bi, where they're half and half kinky and vanilla. And then another person can be very kinky to the core of their being and have almost no vanilla tendencies whatsoever, and they've felt kinky as long as they've been alive. So I have a theory that people can go up the scale from being vanilla to kinky, but they can't go back. <laughs> um, so people become more and more kinky, the more they experience and explore kink. And once you have a kink, the, the more that neuropathway gets formed and practiced and the stronger it becomes. So 
Let's say that you are someone who is very, very kinky, and all of your sexual fantasies are deeply kinky. Let's just say that you feel that your sexual orientation is on the highly kinky end of the spectrum. Not being able to experience and express this side of yourself might make you sad, or you might have a sense of longing or emptiness because it is a core part of who you are. And it might be equated to having a feeling of longing to, let's say, finding your soulmate because you've always seen yourself as a life partner or longing to have a child because you've always seen yourself as a mother or longing to be an actor um, or living in on an island be- instead of the city. You know, all of these longings um, that might that's an illustration of the kind of longing that you might have if you are not ever to fulfill that kinky side of you, right? But at the same time, those people who don't fulfill those things can also find peace within themselves if they decide to. You know, like the woman who has accepted that she won't be a mother in this lifetime and be okay with it, or someone who's accepted that they will never become an actor. You can choose to be at peace with your decisions, whatever they may be. And again, not simple. Um, There's a process and... And there's a, you know, and, and it might take, it might take some time to get there. But then also these same people can decide at any moment to change their minds. The woman who couldn't have children can adopt a child when she's 50 or the, the other person who can become an actor at 70, you know? Um, so let me, I have an, I have someone in mind who I want to um, illustrate. He's a very special slave of mine who's been serving me for about 10 years now. He started seeing me in his mid-60s. He's always felt kinky his whole life and always knew that this is a core part of who he is. He pushed down his kinky desires and ignored them for most of his life. He had a successful career, happily married, raised three children, went on to have, uh, who went on to have other children. So he's a grandfather. And then finally, around age 65 or so, he came to see me for the first time. And uh, he'd never served a dominatrix before. So he came to see me and I began um, slave training him. And he has turned into one of the biggest pain sluts I have. He's in his mid 70s now. And every single time he has come to serve me over the past 10 years, he thanks me profusely, telling me how grateful he is that he met me and that I brought this kinky side out in him and how he wished he would have come to see me sooner. But, you know, he couldn't have because I believe that divine timing is everything. When everything started slowing down for him, then he was able to make his needs more of a priority in his life. You know, then he began to make space in his life for BDSM. And maybe if he met me earlier in life, I wouldn't have been a fit for him at that time. Maybe I, at that point in my Dom journey, wouldn't have been right for him. And so... You know, and maybe he would have met a different Dom earlier in life. And maybe that experience might have spoiled BDSM for him and left a bad taste in his mouth for BDSM. And then he might not have ever wanted to try it again. So that happens, unfortunately. I've heard stories like that. But fortunately, that didn't happen to him. See, his his story came out the way it did. Um, and, and I believe it was divine timing. So... My advice for you is to not feel like you are cheating yourself or denying yourself if you don't have 
BDSM experiences right now. I think it is more important for you to find the right person or people to explore this with. And I think that's part of the reason why you're waiting. And I think that's smart. Now to answer your question about self-harm and how that relates to BDSM, it is very important to distinguish the difference between self-harm, which is not a healthy act and not BDSM and inflicting pain upon oneself as part of erotic play. We don't use the word harm in BDSM. The terms we use when we play are like hurt or suffer. Like I enjoy hurting you. Um, I enjoy making you suffer for my pleasure, which those are fun and sexy words. The word harm is not sexy because it has a negative non-consensual feel to it. So if you are harming yourself because your feelings of depression and anxiety are too much for you to bear and you're looking for a release, then that is not submissiveness or BDSM. Self-injury, when done in that context, is a signal that there needs to be some sort of emotional healing. There are different healing modalities like breath work and body work that can be really effective ways to get you feel your stuck emotions and release them in healthy ways. So I hope you can find good therapists and healers to support you through your healing process, Anna. And I am sending you so much love and support your way as well. As somebody who has a background in both clinical psychology and BDSM, how do you see the two of those intersecting, connecting, relating to one another? Can BDSM be a tool of healing or growth? And if so, how? And also, I know you have a background in Jungian psychology so I wanted to ask you whether you have any resources or books that you would recommend people reading to learn more about the psychoanalytic side of BDSM. Thank you for this question. So I always say that BDSM is 70 to 80% psychology. Anyone who is into BDSM, kink, dominance and submission, female-led relationships, and those kinds of dynamics that have to do with power, erotic power exchange is into uh, the psychological erotic mindfuckery. And that's what it's all about. Your brain is the biggest sex organ in BDSM and in any kind of erotic power play. And I would even be willing to bet that all sexual fantasies have something to do with erotic power exchange. You know, like whatever fantasy is going on in people's minds during vanilla sex most likely has some flavor of dominating someone or being dominated on, 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 on smaller levels. <laughs> but um, so as far as BDSM being a tool for healing and growth, yes, it definitely can be. And I do refer to BDSM as a real healing modality. As I've said before, kink is a sexual orientation, and it's not a mainstream one, so to speak. It is common for someone who is starting out in their kink journey to feel a sense of shame or isolation about feeling kinky because they feel abnormal inside. But when a kinky person starts meeting other kinky people, it, it is healing because they don't feel so alone in their kinkiness. And then when they start playing with pe people with their kinks, their shame might start going away. 
And then when they find someone who they truly connect with and feel safe with, who really gets them at the core of their kinkiness, this person can act as a partner or a guide in their journey of self-exploration and discovery in kink, which is truly healing. I've been through many years of clinical training in psychology, and I've learned many techniques for therapy, and I have learned from many mentors and teachers in the healing field. And they say that the healing, all healing, what it comes down to is feeling loved and seen. So that's basically why BDSM is such a huge healing modality is because let's say someone is a submissive or a bottom and they feel, they finally feel truly accepted or loved or seen by someone, especially if that person is actively engaging with them as a partner in their journey, doing these things, these activities that are taboo or shocking or socially unacceptable. It's truly healing like nothing else. When people feel loved and accepted for who they are and not judged, they start to build a really strong self, a sense of self-love. And also BDSM is healing for the dominant too. I have been on my dom journey for over 25 years now, and I'm still going on. I'm still growing and I'm still healing. I'm still on my dom journey and I will be forever. Um, and I don't know what I would have done without having stumbled across BDSM. I've always been a shy person growing up and it helped me find my power, speak my voice. It helped me establish firm boundaries and basically have a strong sense of who I am. I feel really lucky to have a place to practice owning my power and exerting my power and ha to have these people appreciate it and crave it even. So I've developed a sense of compassion also, like never before. And I'm able to appreciate the beauty of people's vulnerability like never before. It's not the same as being a traditional therapist, which, which I've done that kind of work as well. To me, it's much deeper because I'm not just witnessing the vulnerable acts. Um, I'm involved in it. You know, I'm causing it firsthand. I'm instigating and I'm holding space for it. And that's what makes it so truly profound and deep and beautiful. Many of my mentees have expressed similar feelings of healing from their DOM journeys as well. Um, as far as any books on psychoanalysis and BDSM, I don't personally know of any, but I did do a quick Google search and there are a few titles out there that I saw on psychology and BDSM and I think it's great. I think these titles are probably kind of new because I didn't see them when I was you know, going through graduate school in, in psychology. Um, I can't recommend any of these titles because I haven't read them, but I encourage you to check them out and let me know if you found any good ones. So I am currently working on a book entitled The Dominatrix Archetype, which is, is very psychological. Um, the Dominatrix Archetype is also the title of uh, the femdom methodology that I teach my, my doms who are studying under me. Um, so the dominatrix archetype is an archetype that exists in the unconscious minds of submissives. And this archetype is made up of um, four elemental archetypes. So first of all, the dominatrix archetype is a powerful dominant figure who submissives feel drawn to serve. And then the four elemental archetypes are within, are inside of the dominatrix archetype, and they are the authoritarian, the seductress, the mother, and the queen. So when a woman develops and embodies the dominatrix archetype, 
A submissive will fear her, feel attracted to her, feel safe with her, and be in awe of her all at the same time. I talk about this concept in my course for submissives called Be Your Best Submissive Self. And I also train women how to develop the dominatrix archetype within in my academy, in my, in my Femdom Academy called the Evolutionary Dominatrix Academy. Hello, Mistress Chi. My name is Jacob, and I have been infatuated with the world of femdom since I was around 11 or 12 when I first discovered it. At the age of five, I first encountered pornography. Though I was completely new and didn't even know what pornography really was, I was hooked. As time went on, I dove deeper and deeper into the femdom rabbit hole. I have a memory of being around six years old and making a bet with my best friend, a girl I had known since I was two. And if I lost the bet, she had to sit on my face. Well, I intentionally lost the bet. I was always enticed by the idea of being forced to do something by some beautiful woman. I am currently 25, and though I am a very commanding and authoritative person, I am still infatuated with femdom and have a sort of femdom relationship with my wife. Is my love of femdom simply indicative of my nature, or is that due to the nurture of having been exposed to femdom for so long as a child? Hi, Jake. What a wonderful question. Thank you for sharing so openly about your experiences growing up with kink and your examples of being drawn to femdom from a really young age is a perfect one to illustrate how kink is a real true blue sexual orientation. It is my belief that kink is mostly a nature thing, not a nurture thing. I think that most people who are kinky were wired that way from birth or even before birth, and it's in your DNA. So for some people like you, you knew you were kinky from a tiny age (laughs) and your fascination with porn kind of clicked with that inner knowing. For other people, maybe they were wired that way. They're also wired that way, but the realization happened in their adolescent years. You know, that's when it clicked for them. Uh, For others, they might think they're vanilla all the way until their 40s when they discover kink and then it clicks for them then. So everyone has a different self-discovery timeline, but I think that the wiring has been there all along. So compare being kink sexual to being homosexual, for example. And I've dubbed the word kink sexual as one word, by the way. Um, So for example, homosexuality wiring has been there all along, but your self-discovery of it can vary and happen at any age, right? So some people's sexual self even awakens um, at different times. You know, some people's sexual self awakens at a younger age and some in young adulthood. So it's all different. But, um, But back to being kink sexual, it's something that's in there. And then uh, as it gets discovered, then it kicks in, it kicks in. And as I have explained before, being kinky is not black and white, but on a spectrum. So someone can be slightly kinky, moderately kinky, or kinky to the core of their being. A moderately kinky person might be like half and half vanilla and kinky. And this can be compared to someone who's bisexual, you know, half straight, half queer. And your level of kinkiness can also change and evolve along your lifetime depending on how much energy you spend devoting to exploring it and and fantasizing about it. 
But one thing I know for sure is that once you've developed a kink or a fetish or a kinky fantasy, there's no going back. (laughs) You can't undo that um, kink or fetish. So, and also once you reach a level of kink, you can't go back. So you can't make yourself vanilla, so to speak. So just like if someone's gay, they can't make themselves straight. It's just in there. It's in your wiring. But the good news is it's wonderful and liberating to be kinky. And the best thing to do is to accept it and embrace it and hope to find the right partners to explore it with. And you are very lucky that your wife is exploring it with you because um, some people end up with partners who aren't open to exploring it. And that can be difficult. So good for you, Jake. You seem to be very accepting of your kink self. The kink journey is an ongoing, lifelong, rewarding one. Exploring kink can bring a deeper understanding of yourself to yourself, as well as help you grow and evolve as a person. Of course, finding the right partners to explore with is of utmost importance, and it can make all the difference in the world in your experience of BDSM. Many thanks to Kevin, Anna, Zishan, and Jake for offering their questions in this episode to spark these helpful discussions. I'd like to send a very special thanks to all my Patreon members. This podcast is fully supported by your patronage, and it means so much to me to know that what I'm doing here is appreciated and of value to you. Sending a personal thank you to Duchess Amanda Lorian, Domina Flora, Richard Tackett, Andre, B, Callan, Ebeth Darling, Lindsay P, David Z, Jacob M, John, Mistress Olivia Holloway, Mistress Velvet, Shami R, Sharon T, Some Ad, Tracy C, Bill Bumpus, Betty, Bill W, J D, Caro K, Leah F, Mark R, Nod Sutsamel, Patience E, Sylvie, Priestess Francesca, Mike L, and Reelback96. Thank you all so much. Your patronage is so appreciated. I can't wait to connect with you all behind the scenes. And many thanks to my editor, the lovely Mistress Persephone Rose. Thank you for listening to Lightworkers Who Play in the Dark. I love providing valuable BDSM content to my community. So if you would like to support this podcast, please become my patron by going to patreon.com slash PhD. My patrons receive different benefits, like asking questions for Q&A episodes, free access to Conscious King Community, and personal video chats with me on a weekly basis. The Patreon link and other links to my different websites, where you can apply for BDSM sessions, kink-centered life coaching, the Evolutionary Dominatrix Academy, and Conscious Kink Community, can all be found on DamianaChiPhD.com. You can also connect with me on social media at DamianaChiPhD. If you love the show, please share and subscribe. And until next time, sending love and kinky blessings to you all.